Today we are doing the wrap-up, not to Holy Communion, but to a series called Retold. Retold is Sunday school stories that you've heard as a kid, forever and ever. So things like Noah and the Ark, Moses and the Red Sea, Dan David and Goliath, and today, Daniel and the Lion's Den. And we are wrapping up today the series, so Daniel and the Lion's Den is the last one. You may be wondering, Bill, what's next? Well, I'm glad you asked. The next series is going to be called Resolving Everyday Conflict. Now, why would you need that? This world is so peaceful. I'm saving my watch right now because it's getting pretty deep in here. All right, so <laughs> Resolving Everyday Conflict. I know with everything that's happening in the United Methodist Church, everything that's happening in the world out there, there will be conflicts. There will be hurt. There will be anger. There will be bitterness. There will be strife. But you know what? We can do this. And of all the people that should be able to handle conflict, Jesus' followers should be leading the way in models of how to do this. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to learn how to resolve everyday conflict over a series of four weeks in a biblical way so that we can maintain the unity that marks us as disciples and followers of Jesus. So I hope you'll tune in for that. If you want to tune in for any of the other ones, uh, they're on our website, they're on our YouTube channel, they're on our Facebook all kinds of ways that you can you do that. If you don't know how to do that, let me know. I'll get you connected. But today, today we're wrapping up with Daniel in the lion's den, and I want to ask you a question. I'm going to say a phrase, and I want you to tell me what you think the scenario is that's behind this phrase. If all your friends were jumping off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? What's happening there? What, what am I talking about? Peer pressure. There it is. Yes, absolutely. How many people have heard that phrase from parents? If all your friends jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff too? Yeah. If all your friends were robbing a bank, would you rob a bank too? My mom asked me that once, and you know what I said? Heck no. The bank is too secure. I'd wait for them, and then I'd rob my friends. <laughs> Smarter, not harder, my friends. So uh, I won't tell you how long I was grounded after that. <clears throat> but uh, it was a life-changing experience for me. So uh, this peer pressure that we talk about, it is so uh, ubiquitous. It's everywhere, right? Now, peer pressure in itself is neither good nor bad. Think about this. Because you want your kids to hang around the right kids, right? Because if they do that, that peer pressure will make them a better kid or, or a better uh, crowd that they run with. On the other hand, you can definitely hang around the wrong crowd, and it can drag you downhill. So peer pressure is neither good nor bad, it just is. But here's the problem with peer pressure. Typically, it's not usually considered a positive. Most of the times when we talk about peer pressure, we're talking about things that drag people down, take people off course, result in things like bullying. Have you ever thought about uh, bullying as a form of peer pressure? Someone is trying to get me to conform with whatever it is that they want, and they've decided that this is the thing that needs to happen. So peer pressure typically in our society is negative, though it doesn't have to be. But here's why I think it is. Because peer pressure helps you form an identity. And identity drives behavior. Think about that. How you react to things, how you go through life, kind of depends on how you identify yourself. Uh, what am I? I'm a pastor. Well, that definitely impacts how I interact with the world. Unless I'm driving. <laughs> Uh, it, you may be a mom or a dad. That definitely interacts, uh, affects the way that you interact with the world. We have these identities that drive behaviors, and these behaviors can be, shall I say, manipulated. What's fascinating about this today, and, and again, this is the deal with this series, I'm going to tell you a bunch of stories that you've heard a million times.
time, so please don't check out on me. Because Daniel in the lion's den, uh, in the kids' version, is pretty tame. I mean, here's a, a fun picture with the whole oh, the lion. Isn't he so cute? <laughs> He's about to eat you. That, that's beside the point, right? So uh, this, this story of Daniel has a lot of lessons. If you want to play the home game, we're going to be in chapter 6 of Daniel, and I'm going to read snippets of it because I don't want to stand here and read the whole 6th chapter of Daniel. Uh, but to set the stage for what's going on here, Daniel is in exile. Uh, he has been taken from his homeland in Jerusalem along with several of his friends. And this was a common practice back then. When a concrete nation came in and overran, in this case, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, they would take the best and the brightest of the young people, take them back to the capital of the enemy for two reasons. One reason was so that the conquering foe could understand better the culture of what they were about to manage and figure out how to keep them under control. But the other one was they would enculturate, is that a word? It is now. Uh, they would enculturate these people, uh, these young, bright minds, and then hopefully someday send them back, and just extending the control of the kingdom. So the purpose was take the best and brightest, re-educate them, uh, learn about the culture, and perhaps someday send them back to help govern peacefully the, the conquered areas. Daniel was not just one of these dudes. He was the dude of the dudes. He was the best and the brightest, and everybody saw that, including the king. So that's where we pick up our story today. The first verse I'm going to read, uh, the first section I'm going to read is verses 3 through 5. And as Daniel was performing his duties, this is what happens. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Hmm. So let me get this straight. This guy has such integrity and such a solid identity in who he is in God that you can find no wrong and no negligence. So the only thing that you can do is use his integrity against him. Does that blow your mind? It does me. So these people are, are not necessarily all exiles. These are some locals and some others, but they're all jockeying for these jobs, and Daniel is looking at being appointed the number one. So this is where jealousy sets in, and jealousy followed closely by peer pressure. See, because sometimes peer pressure brings you up, but a lot of times peer pressure tears you down. If you're better than me, but I want to be the best, and I can't be better than you, then the next best thing I can do is tear you down so that I look better than you. And this is what's happening to Daniel right here. There's jealousy, there's peer pressure, there's conniving and all these things. And this, in all chapter 6, the next verse I'm about to reveal, is the verse that makes all the difference. So here's Daniel's reaction. He figures out what's going on, that they've caused this decree to, that only, uh, only the king can be worshipped. And anybody else that worships anything else is going to be subject to penalty. So, Daniel finds this out, and this is what Daniel does. We're in verse 10 right now. Now, when Daniel learned what the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. 
Daniel knows that they're plotting against him. Daniel knows that they have written a decree that says you cannot worship anybody else except the king, and if you do, you will be subject to the penalty of death. And I'm not talking a merciful death. And so what does Daniel do? Does he panic? Does he close the shutters and hide? No, he goes and prays, just as he had done before. That's integrity. That's identity. And that identity drives Daniel's behavior. So, no surprise, <clears throat> everybody catches him doing it, because they knew they would. And the next passage then goes like this, in uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, the, the people have caught Daniel praying to his God, and then they come to the king, and they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Now, let me pause right there. Is that true? Daniel, one of the exiles, pays no attention to you or to the decree you put in writing? Well, he pays a lot of attention. In fact, he was doing such a good job that the king was thinking about making him number one. So this is straight up misinformation. These people are slandering Daniel. Slandering a guy who has nothing but integrity. So it would be easy for him to get bitter, but he doesn't. Let's keep reading. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. So the king is upset. He knows he's been tricked. He's trying everything that he can to get out of this, but at the same time, he understands there's another form of peer pressure here. The peer pressure of the law. How many people have come up against you and said, well, this is the law, so you can't not do this. Right? That's, a, that's a, a form of peer pressure. Usually that's good, but in this case, it's absolute manipulation. The king can't back down. He's been backed into a corner because if he changes a decree, He's basically saying that this whole system upon which my kingdom is built is faulty and changeable at a whim. So he has to go through with it. But at the same time, if you read the, the rest of the verses right behind it, he doesn't eat the king. He doesn't sleep all night. He's, he's fretting about Daniel. And he says to Daniel, May your God, whom you continue to serve, rescue you. So he's just hoping for the best. Now, at the break of dawn, the king runs out to the lion's den. <clears throat> Let's read this part. And he calls out in a loud voice, Daniel is the, has your God whom you can serve, serve. <laughs> Daniel has the God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions. This is where we pick up. Daniel answered, May the king live forever. What a curious thing to say. Yeah, I'm good. No, I'm still here. Now the first thing out of his mouth is back to the king, because he knows that the king cares for him. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Now, at this point, Daniel doesn't know that he's getting out of the lion's den. He just thinks he's coming to check on him. Maybe he's coming to watch the show. I don't know. But Daniel is very gracious in his response, because he still has not lost his identity. He still has not lost that trust in God. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. No wound found on him because he trusted his God, trusted his God with his very life. Daniel could have easily been gone. And if you read the rest of the story, this is where it's not exactly the kid's version, but let me give you the, the 25 cent uh, G-rated summary. All those people that plotted against him got a turn in the lion's den, and it didn't turn out so good to them. So that's trust. That is serious identity. Now, here's what I want us to do this morning as our way of application. I want you to check your IDs. I want you to check your identification. Because we're issued an identification when we're made. We are made in the image of God, and our identification is child of God, son of a king, daughter of a king. That's our identification. But then as we move and live in this world, the world tends to try to supplant those titles, tries to disconnect us from God. And the world issues us a fake ID. So check your ID this morning. Does it say child of God, or does it say whatever? Because as we live and move with our identity, it drives our behavior. Who's driving our behavior this morning? Is it God, or is it culture? Because sometimes culture does a good job in driving our behavior, and sometimes not so much. We've got to put away the fake ID and reclaim the original ID, the image of God, in which we were made. We also have to play the long game. Now you may be asking, what's the long game? Glad you asked. I was able to take a, a couple of days with the entire family to the beach. We rented a beach house in, in uh, Freeport. And I couldn't help but have just seen this meme on Facebook, and this was going through my brain as I'm standing down there by the beach. If you can't read it in the back, the, the, the top is a pe people fishing on the beach. It says, your day at the beach because of their day at the beach. And that is the invasion of, uh, that's the D-Day, invasion of Normandy in World War II. If they hadn't done that, I wouldn't be standing with my grandsons teaching them to boogie board. That's the long game. That's the willingness to say, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to ensure not just that I have freedom, but I may lose my freedom, I may lose my life, but I'm willing to do what it takes to ensure that the generations behind me at least have an opportunity. Now, what they do with that, well, that's up to them. But I will do my part to ensure that I play that long game, that I make sure that generations to follow will have an opportunity to experience freedom. We come by this honestly, and this tugs at your heart, does it not? Doesn't, doesn't that stir something in you? Because if it doesn't, i got nothing for you. But here's why I think that happens. This says your day at the beach because of their day at the beach, but this one says this is the life that you can have because of the life that he gave. This isn't original. D-Day soldiers didn't make this up. This is the essence of who Christ is. He played the long game. If you look at Christ in the short term, his mission on earth was an abject failure. Oh, you're the son of God. Great. Well, let's see how that ended. Mocked, scorned, beaten, died a criminal's death. Short term, fail. Until you look at the long term. Because they 
Lord Calhoun coming back out of the grave. In the long term says, this is freedom. Freedom from the power of sin, freedom even from death itself. Who else has done that? Now that's the ultimate long game. And what that means for us is that ID that we've been issued, because we know this story, our identity needs to be grounded in Christ. So when we check our IDs, see if it says Christ on there somewhere, representative of Christ, ambassador of Christ, whatever you want to call yourself, but put your identity in Christ, in Christ alone, so that when we go into the world, the world will see Christ through us. Because in that, God can do great things. I didn't put this on the slide, but let me read the rest of the story. After Daniel comes out of the lion's den and the lions finally get their snack, this is what happens. King Darius, who at the time was arguably the most powerful ruler in the world, was not a follower of the Hebrew God until this. Let me read the end of that chapter to you. King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. Who else could have done that but the king of the most powerful nation in the world? And here's what he wrote. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and revere the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. I wonder what he might rescue us from. As we wrap this up, I just want to remind you that Daniel chose not to do what culture was doing. Daniel had a strong enough identity that it drove his behavior to be loyal to God. And we can do the same. And the people that plotted against Daniel assumed that they were working with Belteshazzar. That's an easy one to say, Belshazzar, because that's the name that they gave Daniel when he went to the Babylonian kingdom, which it means thou protects. They were saying that, okay, we're going to take away every bit of identity that you have from your old thing. We're even going to give you a new name. And we're going to make you think that our God, Bel, is the one who protects you. But Daniel never forgot his real name. You see, because Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. I don't need to be concerned about what you think of me. I don't need to be concerned about what you can do to me, to my body. What I need to be concerned about is what God has for me. Because God is my judge. Folks, I'm looking for a few nonconformists this morning. I'm asking us not to go and be formed by this world, but to remain in our identity in Christ. Go back to the original. Yes, we are given that original identity. The world tries to take it away, but we can regain it through what Christ has done on the cross for us. Go in the identity of Christ. Do not be conformed to the world and realize you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. For as we say here at Wordsworth, life is different. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you that he knew exactly what he was doing when he played that long game. We pray for courage this morning. It is scary, God, to play that long game, to understand what we might have to give up in the short term. 
But God, help us to realize that our faith and your love is never meant for just us alone. It's meant for the world. That's the great commission that you gave us. To go out into all the world and make disciples, teaching and baptizing. God, help us to understand that sometimes that requires sacrifice. That you don't call us to comfort, you call us to the king. That our identity is, is not our own. But belongs to you and through you. God, as we assume the real identity that we were given when we were made, when we reassume that identity that you won for us on the cross, help us to live fully into that. Help the world to see you through us. Help the world to encounter your love in a way that they have never encountered before. Help us to be Jesus with skin on. Help us to serve this world that they may know who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.